This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but rarely do successful people get from point A to point B taking the most direct route. Host Jeffrey Klein speaks to a diverse mix of people to explore their story of success and the dots connected along the way. Thank you for listening. Here's your host, Jeffrey. Another great episode with Remarkle Luann Khan, Emmy Award-winning journalist and author, who shares her story and the power of story, touching on the importance of grit, passion, perseverance, and a reporter's responsibility to tell the story in an unbiased way. She even remarks that a great story is better than sex. And if that doesn't get you to listen, I don't know what will. Enjoy. My guest today is Luann Khan, an eight-time Emmy Award-winning journalist and the author of the inspirational memoir, I Dare Me, which chronicled the veteran journalist's mother and survivor's daily adventures as she pushed herself to try something new every single day. Luann also worked for WCAU-TV for 27 years. She filled many roles, breaking news reporter, anchor, entertainment show host, but is most well-known for her years as a hard-charging investigative reporter with a talent for uncovering scandals and scams. Luann won an, a National Emmy for her undercover investigative story, Dirty Little Secret, about an illegal bar run by elected officials in their dry town, as well as winning a National Claran Award and two Mid-Atlantic Regional Emmys for her special report, Breast Cancer, My Personal Story. Khan is currently the Director of Career Services at Temple University's Klein College of Media and Communication. Luann graduated Phi Beta Kappa from the University of Georgia, and she's the proud mother of her daughter, Alexa, who dared herself to start her own company and is now managing electronic artists in the music business. Please welcome Luann. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So we like to start at the beginning. Where were you born and what did your parents do for a living? I was born in Columbus, Ohio. My dad was uh, at the time working on his master's degree in social work, which he got at the University of Ohio. I think that's right, yeah. And my mother, um, boy, she did a number of things, mostly helped my dad look good. She says if not for her, uh, my father wouldn't have gotten through college and everybody agrees with that. Um, she. Uh, was often an executive assistant to CEOs, but at one point she uh, was a manager of a uh, a baby store. Um, at one point she worked for a cell phone company. At one point she um, was selling at a department store. I mean, my mother had done a lot of different secretary, lots of different things. She was a Renaissance woman. Yeah. So as that example, when you were a kid, did you have anything to say, when I grow up, I want to be anything in particular? I mean, was it a journalist? Did you have something else uh, in mind? Oh, oh, well, my first, I was um, definitely convinced that I was going to perform in some way from the time I was really young. I was absolutely happy being the focus of attention at any time. I, you know, I thought I would sing. I thought I would dance. I was terrible at both of those. 
But at one point, my father, it was my dad's idea. I was about 15 years old and I was growing up in Atlanta at this point. And um, my father came to me and said, I just saw this woman who was a reporter. You've got to imagine this is the 60s, right? And I just saw this woman who was a reporter on WSB, which is Channel 2 in Atlanta. And I just realized this is what you should be doing. And he pulled me into the living room to watch. Um, her, um, oh my gosh, I used to know her name. Anyway, it was the first woman on TV in Atlanta. And, um, and I thought, what an adventure, right? What an adventure to be a reporter. You get to be out and interview people people and see things firsthand and tell stories and everything. My father was right. I mean, everything about it. Did you feel that at the time? Oh, immediately. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is great. I I don't think I had any concept of the journalism part of this, right? But the idea of I'll be on camera, I'll tell stories, it'll be, you know, glamorous, which, you know, a lot... There was about 1% glamour, about 99% really hard work in that job. But um, the storytelling part, yes, was fantastic. Well, we're going to talk a little about the storytelling in a minute. Uh, when you were growing up, did, you know, and whether it was at 15 or, or prior, did you have anyone you looked up to as kind of a role model? I mean, you know, with, with the parents or did you see other journalists or other think, just celebrities yeah, on TV? I think that- Jane Polly was my first. And actually, I'm now remembering the woman in Atlanta. Her name was B.B. Immerman. What a name, huh? B.B. Immerman. She was one. I mean, that's a great TV name. She was one of the first people I saw on TV. So she was the first woman I saw that was close, right? She was in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. But Jane Polly. Jane Polly, she was just really young, came on the Today Show. My parents watched her every day, and I thought, Oh my gosh, what I want to be Jane Polly. She would have been the equivalent of Oprah, I think, back mm-hmm. in the day, you know, when I was growing up, for, for sure. And you mentioned storytelling and what it means. Did you have anyone, whether family or friends, who you thought were great storytellers? Oh my gosh, probably everybody in my family was a storyteller. I think my. And what made them, them good? What made them good? Oh my gosh. You know, what I remember, my, grand, my grandfather, Izzy, Izzy Berman, uh, from, from Russia, who, who came over on a ship when he was like 11 years old, you know, he had a very heavy, like a, a Yiddish accent. And it always fascinated me that my grandfather, Izzy, and my grandmother on my uh, father's side, they'd speak Yiddish together, and, but they'd tell stories. They would just go back and forth and back and forth telling stories. And um, that was high entertainment to me, <laughs> you know, uh, growing up and do you remember this? And I think storytelling was just part of my family culture, to be honest. Uh, what was your first kind of paying job? <laughs> my very, very first paying job uh, was at a jewelry store in Atlanta that was kind of one, it was almost like Ikea, kind of a, before Ikea was around where you would walk around 
and you'd look at the things that you want. They had electronics too. And um, you would walk around and put down the code number of the thing that you wanted and you would put it in this pneumatic tube or something. And I was in the back and I would get the order and then I would put the right codes on and I would, I'd ship it on. And I was this little white Jewish girl in a group of women, African-American women who are all older than me. And you talk about storytelling. <laughs> I would sit in the back with them and they, I mean, I, I would blush the whole time. They, you know, they told me stories about their lives and I realized they said, you better get out of here and go to college, girl. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Don't stick around here. They were so sweet. They were, they, I really had an incredible experience with them. And then my next job was waitressing and I waited a lot through college. And when did you feel like you had your kind of big break and you figured, you know, I'm going to, I'm actually going to be a Jane Pauley or, you know. Um, I mean, my first, I started working in broadcast news in college. I actually got my first job, I think I was a sophomore at a radio station, a very small radio station that played classical music, and they hired me to be a DJ. And that was my first actual on-the-air job, and I was terrible. (laughs) I mean, terrible. But I just knew, you know, that I loved it. And even though I was terrible at it, I was willing to work at it a lot and let people tell me, you're terrible. <laughs> you, you know? And I was like, may, help me, make me better, right? So, um, I mean, I would say that first job was the, the first time I knew I have a lot to learn. I'm terrible at this, but I, I just, I want to try. I want to keep going. I, in terms of... There were so many times in my career, honestly, I, I thought I wouldn't make it or, you know, I wasn't good enough or I couldn't get to the, that next big step. Um, getting to Philadelphia in 1987 was huge where I finally thought, okay, okay, I've been in this 10 years, really 10 years, 10 years. And that's how long I think it actually took me to be a true professional and know what I was doing. 10 oh. years of recording. Uh, I'm curious because I've asked this of other people, you know, obviously you, you didn't think you were very good and then you worked at it. And I'm curious whether you think, you know, being a good storyteller is something that you can learn yeah. um, or is it, or do you either have it in you or you don't? I am, I totally believe talent can be learned if you have the desire and the grit and you're persistent enough. And there are definitely people in the business far more natural talent than me. And that would frustrate me at times, but oftentimes those talented people had other, didn't work as hard. Mm -hmm. They didn't work at it. Or when it got difficult or they'd shoot themselves in the foot, they had some fatal flaw that just like, they couldn't propel themselves, even though they were incredibly naturally talented. I definitely always had to work harder than the next person. So, um, and I do believe storytelling can be learned and I had a lot of great teachers along the way uh, who taught me. 
it's interesting. I have twin daughters who are teenagers. And when they were younger, they kind of, they're both very talented in, in a lot of things. But I won't say which is which because I don't want to incriminate myself. But one of them was just things came to her very naturally. And she would just kind of do it. And the other one worked really hard, even from like walking. One would you know be working, 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 and she'd finally walk. And then the other one would just get up and walk. And that's happened time to time. But eventually what I found is that the one, the hard worker started to excel as they grew because she had talent and she worked hard. And I think my other daughter realized, oh, I can't just rely on my raw talent. If I really want to, you know, get ahead, I got to also put in the work. I think that's right. and, it, important. And you bet basically just explained all the work that Angela Duckworth has done on the topic of grit, you know, that you cannot succeed without grit. And that is passion and perseverance and the ability to push past and work hard on something and push past obstacles. And no matter how talented you are, at some point, you will find those obstacles if you're not willing to push past or you're not used to having to work hard, you may not succeed. So yeah, I, I think in the field of, of uh, TV news, you will find there are a lot of gritty people that worked hard. Yes, you'll find some talented people and there are definitely some naturally talented people, but um, it's so much harder than it looks, TV news. People think you just get up in front of the camera and then you, you speak. It is, it is a grueling, difficult job and so many people start out in it and and then quit because it's nothing like they thought it was going to be speaking but, of that so you've worked um interviewing and investigating lots of different things and lots of different places what's the most surprising place you found yourself whether it was a job or location or talking to someone that you couldn't have ever imagined oh gosh I have seen so many things. I, I can't, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I was at the, um, I think of nine, you know, I was at nine 11 at ground zero the day after everything happened. It's just horrifying. I, I've seen a lot of disasters. Uh, I, I was at Connecticut when, you know, right after the, all of the children were shot in school and I covered that. And I've been to hurricanes and tornadoes and floods. And um, every time you witness, you're witness to this, you can't believe it. You, you know, I've interviewed presidents. Um, there's so many memorable things. I, you know, I, I could talk about this all day. There was the day before Bill Clinton was elected president and I was at the Mayfair Diner in Philadelphia where he was shaking hands with everybody. and. Um, I got to interview him, but I had also covered him when I was a young reporter in Little Rock. Mm. And I remember yelling, uh, it's Luann from Little Rock from 10 <laughs> years ago. And he was like, oh, come on. And I know he didn't remember me, but he, that big meaty hand went through the crowd and he pulled me in and he gave me an interview because I said, I, I used to be in Little Rock. Um, <laughs> As a reporter, you get to see things and experience things firsthand, which is the, the best gift of being a reporter. And, but the responsibility of that is telling the story. 
right, of where you've been and what you've seen and being able to um, share that with other people in an entertaining, effective, in, informative way. And that's the trick. So I'm, I want to ask something, especially being an investigative journalist, uh, my brother, we have a friend who's a New York Times reporter, and there's some debate about the current state of reporters. And one of the challenges is that now, and not political uh, one way or the other, but that reporters are now giving their opinions on things as opposed to just reporting. Yeah. And and do you find, was your job to be, you know, you, you said, you you know, you see things, you know, up close and personal. Is it your job as a reporter to just kind of give the facts or are you as a reporter allowed to kind of color the facts and what's your pers- perspective on that? I mean, I, I was trained as a classic facts, facts first. You have no credibility at all um, unless, unless your job is to give opinions, which is something different. I think the difficult thing for consumers of news, news, I'll put that in quotes now, you know, is to determine someone who's giving opinions and someone who is a, um, you know, a traditional journalist trained to follow the facts, give the facts. Now, that's not to say, look, if you go to a press conference or you, you witness something or you're on the scene of something, your job also is to edit. You can't tell every single, as a TV news reporter, and it's different depending on your platform. You know, if you're a, the New York Times reporter, you can have so much space, right? Um, if you're a TV news reporter, you might get a minute 30. What's going in that minute 30? It's actually one of the hardest things to learn. You know, what goes in and what goes out, how to tell the story. And that is then your training. It's not opinion, but you are making a decision. You aren't using your best judgment to decide which of the facts are most important that have to go in this and which do you leave out. As a TV news reporter, sometimes we'd say, well, if they want more, they're going to have to read it in the paper. (laughs) But now that's not true because as a TV news reporter, you might also create the web content. Right. You might be creating an article, too, with much more information in it. But there's always a limit on space and time. Um, do you think as a consumer of news, it's harder today than ever to know what's credible and what's not credible? A, because of the volume, and B, that it's kind of shifted? Yeah, I think you need to know if you like to watch MSNBC, you know which leaning you're getting and you should be aware of that i think it's healthy to turn the station and look and see what else is being reported it's harder to be a good consumer of news because that means you need to do more work in and and be and understand you are totally capable of staying in the bubble if you want and just hearing the kind of news through a certain lens that appeals to you you may be missing information and facts. Well, yeah, it's interesting. We've done this, especially in the last couple of months, not only with the coronavirus, but even with the impeachment stuff, where we would watch CNN and then 
switched mm -hmm. to Fox. Mm -hmm. and to see the same story told from such different perspectives. And I think that editing of what goes in and what goes out can be very different. Um, so it makes right. it and, you know, trying to synthesize that. Yeah, and it's interesting, even within those stations, if you talk to probably Fox reporters, well, I don't know how much true it, it used to be, that the Fox reporters felt that they were separate from the people who were hosting the shows. Right. And they were more kind of down, tried to be down the middle. I don't know how, I don't know if that's very true anymore. And, and but the MS reporters would say the same. If they're not hosting the show, they're, they're supposed to be, you know, as unbiased as you can possibly be in sticking to the facts. But I will tell you, I will, I sample, but I go to the Washington Post, I go to the New York Times. I mean, these are pillars of journalism and the, the journalists are well-trained, you know, and I know I'm probably, I mean, that's who I depend on. Where yeah, I'm, I'm looking for I, the I interviewed for this, for this podcast, a BBC reporter mm -hmm. and that same classical training of like, it's not our, our job is simply to report what's going on. And, you know, and she's as a reporter, uh, it's gotten a little muddier, I think, because things are pulling people in, in, in different directions. Well, I, I do think it's just really getting so very difficult for a consumer to understand the difference because it's all the, the networks have blurred it all. Mm. Um, I also used to joke, I used to not want to watch the news because I used to refer to it as not news, it's bad news. You know, 90% mm. of what was on there was about a crime or a disaster. And, um, and I think that my impression is that that, sold better that was more you know too many good feel good stories aren't gonna help with your ratings and all of those things do you agree with that well i mean you know i've seen it done every i've been in i was in broadcast news for almost 40 years and within those 40 years in 10 different stations that i worked at uh, under lots of different management there were always and there was always hey, we're going to now do good news. I remember there was a, a, I went through the good news period, you know, and people polled say they don't want bad news. So now we're going to do a lot of good news. Well, the good news theory just didn't work really well. There's not much no problem. What the, people weren't watching. Mm -hmm. And so it's a problem. On the other hand, it's, it's kind of like, and but this is also where, you know, they started to understand people can't turn away from a train wreck. So show them a train wreck, right? If it bleeds, the old, it, if it bleeds, it leads. But um, I think that's where we really got in trouble. Instead of doing what we thought was good quality news we started pandering and or playing to what our you know the the polls said the 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 um survey groups the you know um i mean one of the reasons that you see local news do weather three times during a newscast is because all the polling says people will watch for weather which is like how all the snow coverage and the flood, you know, but 
But the thing is today you can go to lots of different devices and see what the weather is. And then they said, well, we need really pretty women to show us the weather because that will bring you in or everybody, you know, I've seen the, I've seen every version of news since 1978 when I got in, into it full time. Um, I think we've done a really poor job, quite frankly, of just giving people information instead of trying to cater to what we, what people think or say mm. they want. I'd like to see dog stories all day, you know. <laughs> Only on Instagram. Right? I just want to see puppies and dogs. <laughs> right? But but we're news organizations, and when I started, news was not a money making operation. It was a service. We did it as a service. We were not expecting to make money, but then the stations found out, oh, you can make money with us. And that's when everything started turning on its head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me switch gears slightly because talking about bad news and good news, what, what inspires you? A great story. <laughs> I used to, I used to tell my boss a great story is better than sex. <laughs> Can we say that? You can sure. Right? But I, there was, there is nothing in my mind better than a great story. When I was a reporter and I had a hold of a great story, I was like, ah, oh my God, this is so good. That's how I would feel about it. Like, this is the best. This will carry me for weeks. I might, have, I might have to have that as the title of the podcast. A great story is better than sex. Sex. People be clicking on that link. Yeah. All right. I mean, to a reporter, you know, you know, when you have a great story, it's exclusive, it's got drama, it's got human, this human, whatever it is, it's uncovering something. It's, oh my gosh, you know, after a while, you know, oh, all the elements are, that are in a story that you're like, oh, I can't wait to tell this one. So you've been in the business a long time. What one piece of advice would you have given to your 21-year-old self? Hmm, it's probably about perfection. I think I was so terrified of making mistakes. And so, and I made plenty, uh, which is the only way you can learn. And it's terrifying to be a reporter and make your mistakes in front of a live audience <laughs> because it's not, you know, anybody else, they could just fix it later. But um, um, not to be so hard on myself and self-critical. I think, and it, strangely, after I survived breast cancer and after I survived kidney cancer, but really after I survived breast cancer first, I realized what there was to be afraid of. And I became better because I lost some of my fear. I understood what there was to be afraid of in life. And it wasn't, you know, a bad performance in a live shot or something, right? Um, and fear is always, I think, what really prevents us from being our best. And so, yeah, I, I would probably say, relax, don't be so afraid. You can do this. What do you think, you know, we talked a little bit about the change in news. What do you think, you know, the web and, and you know, versus traditional kind of broadcast and even cable who's coming with all the different, what do you think's the next trend for the news industry? 
Oh, I hate to say this, um, but I think what I see is that newsrooms are going to get not the big institutions. I, I think the Washington Post and the and the New York Times and a few other major big institutions and stations will survive, but uh, the networks will survive. But in terms of like your local news and um, they're filling hours of news right now. I honestly think that may shrink. And I also think that what may happen is that um, Newsrooms will not be able to afford to keep these big st staffs on full time and they'll come down to a core group of people and then everything else will be freelanced. I, I, it's, the gig economy. It, I, I hate, I hope that's not true, but I can, I feel like I see that coming that, um, yeah, it'll be more of a gig economy. There'll be more freelancers there'll be smaller newsrooms and maybe doing less uh, filling two and a half hours of news. I don't, you know. Possibly. I want to shift for one second about the I Dare Me and work you do as presenter, speaker. How did the book, you know, give me a, the, about how you decided to A, write the blog, write the book, but more importantly, how you decided to dare yourself every day to do something new. Yeah, well, it was all my daughter's idea, to be really honest. Um, yeah, my daughter, in, in the last recession, uh, and it was, yeah, in 2009, I got very stuck. And it's, it was not unlike this kind of time what a lot of people may be going through, where the economy tanked, people were losing their jobs, uh, technology was changing dramatically. And um, at that point, I was in my mid-50s and had eight Emmys and um, had loved what I was doing and leading an investigative team. And then everything changed. And it almost felt like it changed overnight. And I was furious and I was angry and I was ticked off and I refused to change. All friends around me were losing their jobs and I got to keep my job, but I didn't want to tweet and I didn't want to Facebook and I didn't want to blog and I didn't want to shoot video and edit video. I didn't want to do any of it. I just wanted it to go back to the way it was. And I know right now a lot of people are going through that very thing, right? Why? I just hope we can go back to the way it was. And it became very clear we were not going back to the way it was. And um, my daughter, you know, and at that point I had survived cancer twice and had other health issues. And my daughter had up and gone to college and came home for the holidays and said, mom, you're a mess. You need to fix this. You're a survivor. Shame on you. You know, you know how precious life is and you're not living your best life. And she, and she said, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, I don't know, kid, get out of my face. You don't know. I'm still working. I'll figure it out. And she said, you need to do something new. Long story short, she convinced me to start a blog when I didn't even know what a blog was. <laughs> she set it up for me. And she convinced me that my way out of this was to do one new thing a day for a year, which sounded impossible. By the way, if you're stuck, it's a really good exercise. Write down every simple thing that you have never done. Um, and I started with the polar bear plunge on New Year's Day in Atlantic City 
which seemed like the most insane, at that point, seemed like the most insane thing I had ever done. Um, and I realized uh, as I started on this journey, I, I was happier. I made myself do something new every day, even if it just took two minutes. I learned to blog, I learned to Facebook, I learned to tweet, and eventually a publisher said, will you turn that into a book? And here it is, I dare me. And that is the short version of what, <laughs> what happened. <laughs> I've heard you go read the book and then they can get the full yeah. uh, breadth yeah. of, of that experience. So you write the book, you go on speaking, um, you've now working, helping other people launch their careers after college. What's next for Luann Khan? You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping maybe there's uh, the next book. Um, I just finished my getting my master's, which was important to me. That was a 10-year journey, and I finally finished it. You Congratulations. Know? I, I do believe in being gritty and finishing things. Uh, it's my master's in journalism. I knew I always wanted to teach, so I think, you know, staying in academia and teaching and, and coaching um, feels very natural to me. Um, I love speaking. Um, I'm sure I'll continue with that, but um, I'm a storyteller. I'm always looking for the next story, right? So um, I'm always looking for a new way to inspire, and um, maybe there's a new, maybe you know, I'm thinking about different ways I can use social media, um, different ways I can deliver stories. I, I think one thing is clear, we can't stay where we are. We have to keep reinventing and reimagining. And so I'm, I'm in the middle of that too. Who knows? I love it. Uh, so now we're at that point where we come to the nine rapid fire questions. Uh, try and just, you know, first thing that comes to your mind, uh, some of these are a little harder than others. So the first one, is it better to be a planner or a doer? Oh, so hard. Um, I tend to be a doer, Do the but I don't, think one, I, don't, I don't think one's more better than the other. I don't know you, I think you have to be both, but then, okay. Should stories always have a happy ending? No, but they have to have a good end. But it, and then when I say a good ending, I mean, every good story has to have a beginning, middle and end. And so you have to have an end that feels satisfying. Mm, the payoff. Yeah, yes. Uh, do you have a favorite emoji? Well, I'm very unoriginal about that. I'm, I'm like, I'm still using um, the colon and the, the, <laughs> the, the parentheses for a happy face. <laughs> well, some, some things now allow you when you put that in, it, it converts it to a little smiley face. Yes, like. that happens too. I don't know. I've, I've not been very adventurous on the emoji front. Wow. Well, well, I... I'll give you a little pointer. You give me that. some? Yeah. Sure. I love a little I, movie. I need, I need um, to do with that. Yeah. If you had to sing a karaoke song, what song would you sing? You want to be a I performer? Will I will survive. <laughs> I will I survive. Um, do you have a, you know, you said you weren't always into social media. Do you have a favorite social media platform? Um, I'm starting to like Instagram. I'm a very late adopter, but I, I'm getting into that more. I would say, yeah, I, I, I like Instagram. That's great. Uh, can you name a book that left a lasting impression on you? 
Yeah, you know, um, I like Deepak Chopra's Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. And I have, I don't read books over again. I love to read. I have a whole, I always have a stack of books to read. Um, this is one book I've read over and over again and always get something different out of it. Mm -hmm. And I have given it to many friends who felt stuck. Can you name one of your favorite movies? Groundhog Day. We're, we're living that one right now. <laughs> yes, it's very appropriate now. When it first came out, I laughed hysterically. Bill Murray reliving the same day over and over again, but there's so many good lessons in that one. Uh, it's on our list for family movie night, so I'm excited to show oh, yeah. my kids. Oh, good. Uh, what's one thing you can't live without? Oh, I can't live without, gosh, well, like you can't live without love, family, but if, mm. if it's outside of that, it's going to be my morning workout because you don't want to know me if I do not work out in the morning. That is like my, my way to sanity. And this is, a, I think, a hard one. If you could be credited with inventing something, what would it be and why? Oh, this is I'd say they're going to be easy questions. Yeah. I wish I could invent a way for people to live a better life. Like I wish I could invent the formula, the thing. They'd go, yep, that's it. That's the Luan Khan formula for living because um, I think that's my, my mission. That's my goal. I can help people live a better life. Um, that's well, you've helped like. me live a better life by being on this podcast. So I thank you. Thank you. Uh, is there anything particular you want to promote? Obviously, we'll put in the show notes about your book. And um, oh, just your, you know, you can find the book everywhere uh, on Amazon, and it's, there's an audio book. And I even saw it in a bookstore the other day. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and you, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Luann L U A N N underscore Con, where I do a daily dare and give inspiration Monday through Friday. We'll definitely put that in the show notes. Luann, this has been an absolute pleasure as I knew it would be. And thank you for sharing your story. It was a great story. And I wanna thank you for helping us connect the dots. Thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast. Please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could also do me a favor and please leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. Remember, story matters and is the best way to connect the dots.